You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hi, this is Tim from The Good GP. I'm excited to announce that we're recording a live show at the GP22 conference in Melbourne on Friday, 25th of November. If you're attending GP22, please come down and be part of a fun and interactive session. We'd also like to invite any attendees who want to meet the team and have a chat about the podcast to catch up at the Conference Exhibition Centre on Saturday, 26th of November during the lunch break. We'll provide more details of the location during the live podcast show on the Friday. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Good GP. My name's Christina and today I'm joined by Dr. Vance Mannins to discuss CT coronary calcium scoring and its role in cardiovascular risk assessment. Vance, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for inviting me. No worries. And so our listeners are aware of your background. You are a cardiologist at Hearts First in Brisbane um, and you, um, amongst other interest areas, you do have an interest in cardiac imaging, including the use of echo and cardiac CT. So it's really great to have you along today. Um, I know for me, this is something that I've been watching a little bit more closely, probably in the last couple of years, but really the last 12 months as well, as it's kind of evolving and it, you know, its role in cardiovascular risk assessment is evolving. And especially I've noticed um, in the last six to 12 months, as we've had a few high profile personalities, um, media personalities pass away in recent times from cardiovascular disease. I guess any of these opportunities are a bit of a, an opportunity to shine some light on, you know, the options in this field. And certainly there's been a little bit of um, direct to public promotion of CT coronary calcium scores. Indeed. And I found that has actually triggered some patients to be coming in proactively asking. So I think as GPs, it's so important that we've got our information, you know, correct and and as consistent as it can be in an, in an evolving space. So I'm really interested to have this chat today and hopefully our GP listeners around Australia will get something out of it. Excellent. I did want to start by asking, essentially looking initially at our traditional cardiovascular risk calculators that we use. And for Australian GPs, we're pretty familiar with the Framingham risk scores. And, you know, just talk about some of the limitations in that and why the use of CT coronary calcium scores has started to be discussed in this space of cardiovascular risk assessment. Sure. Look, I think it's an excellent time to have the discussion for all the reasons that you've put forward, uh, the public interest, the advance in in Uh, cardiac imaging uh, and with uh, coronary calcium scoring in particular, our ability to improve uh, the care of our patients. So I I guess that the the simplest thing to discuss our our current uh, risk stratification is to uh, to simply put population risk does not equal individual risk. And that, and that's really uh, the crux of this. And I think what coronary calcium scoring has done, which we'll expand on, but it's enabled us to improve on a population model and then apply it to an individual. And I think that's the most powerful thing when you've got the, someone, a patient sitting across from you and you're talking about all this population data, but then you actually have something and, and this is where you're at. Uh, and it's a really powerful tool. There's lots of evidence to support that, which we'll come to in a bit. But essentially, as you know, the, the Framingham risk data and, and in Australia, our, our national vascular disease prevention data all, all say the same thing. And it shows a continuous and positive graded relationship between LDL cholesterol, for example, and coronary heart disease. Framingham data showed us lots of other interesting things, that exercise is protective and that smoking is bad for you. But still, it's population data and it, and, and 
unfortunately, uh, while it's useful in that respect, there are lots of things that we can't accurately assess an individual's risk on, but we know are additional risk factors. The big red flag family history of premature coronary disease. How does that affect someone presenting? Those with primary hypercholesterolemia, so that defined as an LDL greater than 4.0 millimole per litre, for example, other medical states that the patient in front of you has, for example, inflammatory states like rheumatoid arthritis seem to increase cardiovascular risk, premature menopause, metabolic syndrome, other things that are very hard to quantify. You can do population data, but then again, the patient across from you may have those high-risk ethnicities or all sorts. So um, what the calcium scoring has done is, is it's enabled us to, to not just improve on traditional risk factors, but also account for patients, what they're bringing with them and, and their individual risk factors as well. So yeah, essentially it, it is that population data uh, is good, but, but it doesn't equate to individual risk. And what calcium scoring does is the ability to see where that person is at. So that, that's how I would suggest um, the, the limitations of the current population data and the, the potential advantage of CT on top of that. Yeah, and I really love the way you put that, you know, because ultimately in that primary care preventative health space, we're always kind of considering these things at a population level and kind of, you know, but being able to individualise that a little bit more is obviously going to be really helpful for the, the patient actually sitting in front of you. So let's then talk about what actually is CT coronary calcium scoring. And, you know, as a GP, if I'm sending a patient for that, you know, what does it involve? What should I be telling the patient about it? Sure. So it's it's a very simple test. Basic calcium scoring on, on a CT scanner, it probably takes about 10 minutes. There's no needles. There's, there's no intravenous contrast. It's a, a CT scan of the heart that basically is taken over the space of one breath hold. It's not able to be done on all CT scanners as you do need some specialized cardiac software uh, and a relatively modern CT scanner. So whilst most outpatient departments and uh, suburban radiology departments uh, may be able to offer CT scanning, it won't necessarily just because you have a CT scanner uh, will be able to do uh, coronary scanning, but I, I, it's a freely available test in terms that it, most suburban CTs, uh, radiology departments will be able to offer it now. So it's quick. It's a walk-in, walk-out test. There's no government rebate on it at present, um, and so the the cost to the patient will depend, obviously, on the on the service provider. But say for in Brisbane, it's around you know 180 to 200 dollars for a test, but it will depend, I guess, and that's something that local radiology departments would advise the patient on. It is a CT scan, so it does involve a small dose of radiation as well. Most modern CT scanners are able to do the test. In terms of radiation dose, it would be uh, we use the units of, of millisieverts to um, how much radiation exposure is there. So most coronary calcium scores are done for less than one millisievert on a modern CT scanner. Uh, and just to sort of give you some comparison, uh, a CT of the head might take about two millisieverts. Uh, CT of the chest uh, might take seven millisieverts or the abdomen about 10 millisieverts. So it's a relatively low radiation exposure compared to other types of CT uh, or a chest X-ray is 0.1 millisieverts. So it's about 10 chest X-rays. Um, so in the big scheme of things, it's a relatively low dose of radiation, but it is radiation exposure. So we figure that into the conversation. 
it's an extremely sensitive test. It's in the big scheme of things, it just does not miss coronary plaque or calcified coronary plaque, I should clarify. It's exquisitely sensitive, reported sensitivity of 99%. It really is a very, very sensitive test. And that's one of the great advantages. So I think if you can apply a low risk test that's quick, readily available to the population, that's extremely accurate in terms of its sensitivity, uh, I think it's a good test. Yeah, great. And Ben, do you mind clarifying for our listeners as well, I guess, the difference between CT coronary calcium scores and CT coronary angio, because that is something that can cause a little bit of confusion. Sure. That is a good question because it, it certainly seems to lead to some confusion. So a little bit will depend on the radiology department they attend. They are different tests. Uh, essentially, as mentioned, coronary calcium scoring does not involve any intravenous administration of contrast media. So no iodine exposure, no iodine contrast. CT coronary angiography is where you use iodinated contrast or contrast media to illuminate the lumen of the arteries in a way that you would with an invasive coronary angiogram. So it gives you an actual anatomical picture of the coronary arteries and the, and the lumen. It's a little bit longer and involves a bit more radiation exposure as well. Uh, and you apply the tests in different circumstances. Uh, calcium scoring, depending on your radiology department, may be performed prior to CT coronary angiography. So you may see on a report, you may see both your coronary calcium score and then also a formal report of the, of the coronary anatomy according to the CT coronary angiogram. But one doesn't substitute for another. They're, they're different tests. Broadly speaking, coronary calcium scoring is a risk stratification tool that you use in asymptomatic patients. CT coronary angiography is a tool to look for potential coronary stenoses, which may be causing ischemia. Uh, so, that, so they're different sorts of tests. So I guess that leads into the next question a little bit there, you know, in terms of when should GPs be considering ordering a CT coronary calcium score? Do we listen to this podcast and now go and refer all of our patients for one because it's going to individualise their cardiovascular risk assessment or do we need to pull it back a bit? <laughs> uh, you, you will order many, uh, but not all. So the, the first thing to say, as I, as I mentioned earlier, but just to clarify, so coronary calcium scoring is a risk stratification tool in asymptomatic patients. So it's not a test for ischemia and it's not a test you want to apply to investigate symptoms of coronary disease. So if someone's presenting with chest discomfort or symptoms you're concerned about ischemia, then a coronary calcium score uh, is not the test of choice. But so when do we apply it? Well, the National Heart Foundation and the Cardiac Society of Australia and New Zealand have said coronary calcium scoring is a very useful tool. Uh, and can be or could be considered, it says in the guidelines, for reclassifying intermediate risk populations, so intermediate risk of coronary heart disease and, and stroke. And when you use your Framingham data or your, your National Vascular Disease Prevention data, uh, you find that you do end up with this large cohort of patients in intermediate risk. Uh, and what it does, is it allows you to, to re-stratify anywhere up to about 50% of these patients as low risk, and then you can actually, you know, say to them, look, we can concentrate on our lifestyle factors, our regular exercise, you know, quitting, smoking, other things. But they don't necessarily need to start on medical therapy, uh, lipid lowering, for example, to adjust their risk. That's a huge amount of, of, of people that you can 
re-stratify. So who should you order in? And that intermediate group, you can apply it also to the low-risk group where they present with some of those other factors that we touched on. So they may score low risk on your Framingham data, but they come with that family history or they come with that uh, other inflammatory disorder like rheumatoid or they a high risk uh, population such as South Southeast Asian or, or Torres Strait Islander uh, uh, Aboriginal population. You know, high risk populations you can apply the test to at a younger age because, you know, that, that's where you want to identify them. They fall outside that Framingham uh, they can't identify it according to Framingham data. So you want to apply that to the, to the perhaps low risk where they carry those extra factors, definitely your intermediate risk. Where don't you use it? As I mentioned, uh, we don't use it for symptomatic patients. Um, if they're already on primary preventive therapy, then it's not usually that helpful. Uh, you may get the odd patient come along and say, you know, I want a reason to come off my statins. And that's a, you know, a broader discussion of risk. And that situation may help that risk. But if they're already on primary preventive therapy, then it, it doesn't really add to the conversation. Uh, and certainly for secondary prevention, they've had a cardiac event, they've had a stroke. It, again, it doesn't add to their management because they would already be on secondary prevention. So for those people, if they've had a stroke, they should be on lipid lowering, good blood pressure control, aspirin. If they've had symptomatic vascular disease of any sort, then again, a calcium score uh, won't add to that discussion and may in some sense even be harmful in that situation. If they had a very high calcium score, again, if they're asymptomatic and they're already on good preventive therapy, it may only lead to some anxiety. It's, uh, it's really very much the conversation for those who aren't on primary preventive therapy are at a low to intermediate risk where you want to say, is this someone that, that should be on primary preventive therapy? Great. I think that's such a great summary. So can I also drill you down on a bit of detail in terms of age of patients as well and does that factor into it you know just in terms of the difference between all that progression from non-calcified plaque to calcified plaque now now that's actually it's really interesting and a little bit tricky because uh, there's a little bit of debate in the literature and again i think it's a technology that's evolving and it, particularly in the younger patients but i might come back to that in a minute so uh, what age of patients um, certainly, uh, I think if they present with a, with a family history, you'd, you'd be looking at men under the age of 55, women under the age of 65, anybody that falls into that intermediate risk group, no matter what their age. The advice for, for the uh, Indigenous, uh, Torres Strait Island, Aboriginal, I think anywhere for above the age of 40, it's reasonable to consider, depending on what other risk factors, because they're a higher risk population. In the younger patients, I guess one of the weaknesses, if you can argue this, and this is where the discussion is a little more tricky because of, although there's some evidence, we don't have any guidelines to advise the role of CT coronary angiography. The big difference, uh, I didn't mention before, but really the big difference between the two tests is that CT coronary angiography allows you to assess for non-calcified plaque or lipid-rich plaque, cholesterol plaque. You don't see that with a calcium score. And it's the lipid-rich plaque, which the so-called hot plaque, the more unstable plaque, or the very early sign of plaque. Uh, so in younger patients, it becomes a little bit of 
personal preference, but for my practice, I think if they're presenting under the age of 55 uh, with certain risk factors, particularly family history or very elevated lipids, I certainly prefer CT coronary angiography to give me a better idea of what if there's any plaque, particularly soft plaque, um, which may not actually have calcified yet. Um, because if they have soft plaque, then I would certainly commence treatment. Now, there are certainly some papers looking at CT coronary angiography versus coronary calcium scoring uh, in that setting. And it has shown that CT coronary angiography can add to the advice or risk stratification in that setting. Again, I guess the, one of the downsides of CT coronary angiography, if you can call it that, is that it's only available by specialist referral in terms of attracting a Medicare rebate, and it's a costly test. So the patient would generally need to be referred uh, to the cardiologist to have that discussion. I think it's still probably reasonable at this stage. All right, so let's talk about results then, and I guess how we actually interpret the results of a CT coronary calcium score and how that might then influence our management for patients? Yeah, look, this is the most important part of the conversation, I think, because calcium scoring has uh, been demonstrated uh, in studies, but also in my personal experience, uh, to be a really powerful tool to uh, improve adherence to therapy in patients for primary preventive therapy because we're trying to get people to take tablets to avoid things that haven't happened. Uh, and sometimes that's hard. So, and there's good studies to show that that uh, calcium scoring, and what I generally do is just look through the radiology pictures with the patient because the calcified plaque is very easy to see. And visually, it's such a powerful tool. Patients see it and they go, okay, I get it. I understand there's the plaque and I understand that's why I need these medications. So it's a really good uh, conversation to have. Um, so essentially, calcium scoring, the other thing to caveat the, the, the interpretation of calcium scoring is that atherosclerosis is a process of aging as well. So there is a, a natural rate of atherosclerosis that's sort of average for the population. Uh, and men will start hardening their arteries around the age of 50. Uh, and women will start hardening their arteries around the age of 60 uh, in, in Western pop in European populations. Uh, it does a little, it does depend a bit on race, uh, as I've just inferred, obviously, and sex as well. So your calcium score is interpreted as a raw number, uh, but it's also interpreted as a centile or a percentage compared to uh, race and sex matched individuals. So um, having said all of that, uh, a calcium score of zero is a very, very powerful, reassuring number for you uh, and your patient. So a calcium score of zero predicts a very low risk of a cardiovascular event, so symptomatic uh, heart disease, stroke or death within the next 10 years. The risk is assessed at less than 1%. So it's a very powerful tool uh, for reassurance, calcium score of zero. Uh, a calcium score of less than 100 is generally accepted as low risk. Again, the caveat to that is depending on your age. So that's where the percentile comes into it. So if your calcium score is less than 100 at the age of 75, that's a very low burden of calcified plaque uh, in a 75-year-old. But if your calcium score is, uh, say, 30 uh, at the age of 45, that would suggest you're starting to harden your arteries a little bit early and faster than the rest of the population, faster than average. So the guidelines now say a calcium score less than 100 generally denotes low risk, but 
consider reclassifying that patient as high risk based on if their centile is greater than the 75th for their age. So that's where we talk about individualizing that patient's data. So now you can take that score, compare them to the rest of the population, say, well, you know, you do have plaque, you have more plaque than expected to see for your age. It's time to start slowing that process down. And that's what these um, medications do. So calcium score up to 100, generally low risk, but do interpret that based on the patient's age as well. Uh, a calcium score between 100 and 400 is a bit of an intermediate risk group. And again, you would probably interpret that score based on their centile for age and sex as well. Calcium score greater than 400 is considered high risk uh, and primary preventive therapy is reasonable. A calcium score greater than 1000 is considered very high risk. Uh, and in that group, you would consider uh, performing some functional testing that is stress echo, for example, uh, to exclude uh, any silent ischemia. Again, it's just a statistical thing that is uh, the higher the burden of calcium, the greater the likelihood that one of those plaques uh, is becoming obstructive. So the functional testing, stress echo, for example, is reasonable with a score greater than 1,000. And the guidelines also allow a little bit of flexibility if your calcium score is greater than 400 in an asymptomatic patient. Again, it's reasonable to consider a functional test. Remembering that any patient who's presenting with symptoms, a functional test is the test of choice regardless of their calcium score. Yeah, thanks, Vance. That's a really um, good reminder at the end there and helpful to be able to interpret some of those results. And we might include in the, um, in the podcast notes it's a link to the position statement, which can be found on the Heart Foundation's website that actually goes through that interpretation and, and those centiles for the different ages and, and gender so that our listeners can have a look at that in their own time as well. But Vance, that's probably all that we have time to discuss today. It's been a really great discussion. I've learned a lot. I hope that our listeners feel more empowered to have the discussion around this testing um, with their patients and I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you very much for asking me along. The Good GP is produced and edited by the team at RACGPWA. If you've got any questions or would like to contact The Good GP, please feel free to email us at thegoodgp at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.